I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, it's another edition of Listener Questions. From why flies fly like they fly, to the mysteries of whale eyes. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, what are the sparrows plotting? And at the end of the show, I'll reveal the answer to last week's Guess Who's Talking Mystery Animal Sound Game. So let's get right into it. This is a question from Jim. That's J-E-M. Hi, Katie. Just wanted to say, love the show. I listen nearly every night. I've got a nice little question for you. Why do flies have such unique flying patterns? Like, why can't they just fly in a straight line? So this is a great question, Jim, and I will answer your question with another question. Why is it so hard to swat a fly? Because it's incredibly difficult to predict their flight path. If they flew in a straight line, you'd have a much easier time swatting them. Or imagine you're a hungry bird or a bat. If they flew in a straight line, it'd be much easier to just scoop them out of the air and know where they're going to fly next. But by flying in a unique pattern, they evade predators and annoyed humans alike. But that's actually not the only reason that they don't fly in a straight line. And the answer involves a lot of complicated math and interesting neuroscience. So have you ever noticed how easy it is for a fruit fly to get right on your soda or maybe even your glass of wine or your beer? It's like they're psychic and they can just hone in on your drink as soon as you open it. So neuroscientists were also interested in this question, and they did a study where they put fruit flies in a dome, trapped them in there, and they hid an attractive odor. And then they used cameras to track the flies' movements. So while it may look to us like the fly is moving at random, it turns out when you actually map their flight path, they're moving in a pattern known as Levy's distribution, which is an algorithm that helps optimize finding the source of a stimulus. It's kind of like a game of, oh, you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. 
so the fly will move in a straight line until the odor starts to get fainter. And then they turn in about a 90 degree angle, basically turning every time they feel they're getting colder. And so they're flying not in circles or anything, but these little squares trying to hone in on that odor that they are hoping will be a tasty treat. So to us, it looks random without knowing what's going on in the fruit fly's brain. And it looks very jittery. It looks like they're very impulsive, but it's really a calculated way to uh, locate a source of a pleasant odor for the fly. And it also has the added advantage of making it much harder to swat them or catch them. So it's a great both as a survival strategy and as a resource location strategy. All right, on to the next question. And this is from Sadie. Hi, Katie. <laughs> Sadie and Katie. Firstly, I appreciate your show so much. I'm an artist and I'm obsessed with all things nature and fun facts. And the podcast makes long days in the studio much more enjoyable. Oh, thank you. So first question, I've been thinking about sleep and activity routines of the animals in my neck of the woods, and I was curious if which animals change those habits at different life stages. Are there other animals that are categorized as nocturnal at one stage, then diurnal or crepuscular at another? I love that there's always someone out and about snacking and exploring at any time of day or night. Uh, so first, let me before I move on to say to you, second question, I will uh, answer that first question. So yeah, there are animals whose circadian rhythms changes based on life stages. So a major example is the larvae of a variety of diverse sea animals. So fish and marine invertebrates like jellyfish will go through a life stage of being very, very extremely teeny tiny. So and this is what zooplankton is. Zooplankton is often not just um uh, a microorganism that has already grown as big as it'll ever get. It's also a number of baby baby animals. Like they, they are called larvae, uh, and this includes fish. It'll look like a, a big fish as an adult, but when they're fried, they're so tiny, sometimes they're even transparent. And it can also be jellyfish and other invertebrates in the ocean. And when they are this teeny and tiny, zooplankton is an extremely appetizing source of nutrition for potential predators. They're completely defenseless. Uh, and so while they're this small, they make a mass migration up and down the water column so they're not easy prey during daylight. So at night, millions upon millions of teeny tiny microscopic sea babies come from the dark depths of the ocean up to the surface to feed on detritus. So it is the largest daily mass migration of animals in the world. And as adults, when they become bigger, they don't need to do this daily migration because they're big enough to defend themselves. At least they're not easily eaten through a straw. So uh, now Sadie had a second question. So this is her second part of the email. The other thing I was wondering about comes from a couple recent episodes of Radiolab called Everyone's Got One and the Unsilencing, both super mind-blowing and amazing, about placentas and immune systems and more. I'm probably going to get some of this wrong as I'm not a scientist and my listening comprehension is not 100%. Well, that makes two of us. But basically, they were talking about the way that the X chromosome has more of the instructions for immune-related activity. And as a result, many women and other people with two X chromosomes have stronger immune systems. 
but also are more prone to autoimmune disorders. I'm now realizing that I'm not sure if other animals even have a similar chromosomal situation as we have with the X's and Y's, but if so, do females of other species also have a stronger immune system on average? They discussed how there's immunosuppression that happens during pregnancy, so the pregnant person's immune system doesn't attack the fetus. So I was also wondering if there was a difference between animals that carry their offspring versus those who lay eggs. I know that's a lot of stuff, but I've been wondering about it for like a week and couldn't think of anyone else who might be up for exploring it. Uh, and then she attached a picture of her little puppy Mango and some of her hens, and they are adorable. Actually, her dog, Mango, looks a little bit like a New Guinea singing dog. Very, very gorgeous. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so in answer to the second question about X and Y chromosomes and immune systems, uh, first I'll kind of quickly go over how X and Y works in animals. And it, it's true, not all animals have X and Y chromosomes as their sex determination system. Um, but, uh, humans do, we have the X and Y system. So, a uh, female, uh, will have two X's and male will have an X and a Y. And most mammals also have this system, uh, including some other non-mammalian species. Bizarrely enough, this includes fruit flies and turtles. In animals with XY sex determination, being female is the default and male, uh, is one that Y chromosome is introduced. So uh, some mammals, though, aren't XY. The exceptions in the mammal kingdom include spiny rats, some species of bats, and some shrews who actually have an XO system. Doesn't mean they do cute kisses, although bats, bats do do some version of kissing, I guess. Uh, but no, what that means uh, is instead of an XY system, sex is not determined by the presence of a Y chromosome. In fact, they don't have a Y chromosome at all. It is determined by the lack of a second X chromosome. So males will have one X and females will have two Xs. Dosikis. Drink, live dangerously. Wait, how did that ad go? Dosikis. Oh, right. Stay thirsty, my friends. Dosikis. But that means you're female if you're um, a bat or a shrew. Anyways, another type of sex determination system is the ZW system. So this is present in birds as well as some species of fish, insects, lizards, and snakes. This is basically the opposite of the XY system. Females have a Z and a W chromosome, whereas males have two Z chromosomes. Uh, don't get too caught up on like the... The, the type of letter used to describe these chromosomes, like the chromosomes aren't shaped like a Z or a W, just like the X and Y chromosomes aren't really shaped like an X and a Y. The only time chromosomes really look like an X are when they're uh, in a stage of mitosis or meiosis where they cross over. Um, the, the, just the different letters are to distinguish different types of, uh, of sex determination systems. And uh, the, the chromosomes will work differently depending on the types of sex determination system. But yeah, so to recap, humans and most other mammals as well as some other species are XX female and XY male. A few rare mammals as well as a lot of arachnids and some insects have a system where a single X is male and two Xs are female. 
Uh, birds, some fish, some reptiles have a ZW system where females are ZW and males are ZZ. So, uh, Sadie, your dog Mango is going to have a an XX or XY determination system, whereas your chickens are going to have a ZW or ZZ sex determination system. Uh, so not all animals have the same type of sex determination chromosomes, but there are animals where immunology does differ based on their chromosomes or based on their sex. Uh, so as most mammals share the XY chromosomal system, same as humans, it could be that the X chromosome also codes for immunity in many mammals. And there's certainly evidence that females in many mammalian species have stronger immune systems that can be tracked to the level of gene transcription, which seems to imply that, yes, it has something to do with the sex chromosome. Uh, and like in humans, fruit flies actually have immune systems that are coded by the X chromosomes and thus gives female fruit flies a benefit. Uh, even in animals who don't have the XY, XX sex determination system, uh, such as the animals that use the ZW system, there's still examples of immunological differences between the sexes. So in lizards, increased androgens in males can suppress their immune system compared to females, and female birds have a stronger antibody response to pathogens. And Sadie, yes, you are absolutely right about autoimmune disorders. So having a stronger immune system may benefit females in terms of viruses and diseases. Uh, and um, while having a stronger immune system may benefit females in terms of viruses and diseases, a more pumped up immune response also risks an overreaction to, say, a relatively harmless pathogen or even just normal uh, biological uh, processes in your own body. There are examples of people being allergic to, say, their own <laughs> hair follicles. So this can cause an autoimmune disease. So in fact, about 78% of people with autoimmune diseases are women. Uh, unfortunately, I, I checked out this study. It looks like the data available doesn't really break down in terms of, say, like cis women or trans women or people assigned female at birth. So there's some missing data there that would be really important in terms of linking this trend to chromosomes as opposed to, say, hormones or lifestyle. Um, but it, it is it is an interesting trend and one that I would think may have something to do with uh, sex chromosomes. So <laughs> anecdotally, which is not scientific, uh, but I just moved to a new country. Uh, I moved to uh, Italy, which has triggered my allergies because of all the new species of plants and pollen. Uh, but my husband is just completely fine, which is really frustrating because I'm just sniffling. And he, he had a little bit of sniffles at first. Now my nose is just like a faucet. Uh, and yeah, I'm, uh, I guess, just trying to get used to the local pollen. I'm going to have to talk with some bees, see uh, how they do it. Uh, yeah, but thank you so much, Sadie, for writing in for and for your wonderful pet pictures. I hope you continue to enjoy the show. We are going to take a real quick break, but when we get back, we have even more listener questions. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one, Dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, and we are back, and we have even more sex shenanigans to talk about. So this question is from Jake. Uh, So, Katie, first off, I love your show, and I went all the way back to the beginning and listened to every single episode. Oh, thank you, Jake. It is very educational, and I love learning while I'm working. Anyway, I work in a military maintenance shop, and for some reason, the subject of dog fertility came about. Is it possible for a dog to have puppies from multiple different sires? Like, could my buddy's husky have puppies from a lab and a Rottweiler and others? If you could help us out on this conundrum, that would be awesome. Keep doing what you're doing, and we love the show. Thank you. So, yes, dogs can absolutely have puppies from multiple sires. This is called super fecundation. This is the fertilization of multiple eggs from multiple sperm from different sexual encounters. So this actually happens in many different animals and very rarely also humans. As long as there are multiple eggs released into the uterus and multiple sperm introduced into the sexual reproductive tract, uh, more than one egg can be fertilized and gestate around the same time. One thing this can mean is that the same father can have sexual intercourse on different occasions and with the mother create twins that would be conceived on different days. 
this can also mean multiple fathers could be responsible for twins or siblings born on the same day. And unlike humans, dogs have litters of multiple puppies at once. Well, okay, humans can have twins, but the norm for humans is to have one offspring at a time. But yes, twins, even quintuplets, sextuplets, octuplets, I don't know how else, how further up to count in tuplets, no tuplets, no. Nine tup? I don't know. Anyways, so uh, yes, humans can have more than one offspring at once, but typically it's just one offspring. But dogs typically do have multiple offspring at once, which makes it more likely for dogs versus humans for super fecundation to happen. So as long as the male dogs each mate with the female while she is fertile, you could get a litter of puppies that have different dog fathers and are even different breed mixes. So you could have one dog that's like half lab and and uh, half, you know, schnauzer. I, I don't know if a schnauzer and a lab. Anyways, uh, so yes, it can happen <laughs> is the point, which is really, really interesting. So on to the next question. Uh, this is from Laura. And it is about some bird shenanigans. Hello, all summer I have been wondering about our crazy backyard birds. We live in a small village in Michigan and every evening we have a huge flock of house sparrows gather in our two maple trees in our backyard. They are very loud and we can see feathers and poop raining down on our backyard. I love bird o'clock and come outside every day to listen to their party but I am curious about what they are doing. It happens all summer, so I don't think they are mating. They sometimes seem to be fighting with each other, although over what I have no idea. Sometimes after dark, if I come outside, I hear them stir, so maybe they are roosting in our trees? They seem like a pretty social bird from what I watch at our bird feeder, so maybe they're just interacting with each other? Just curious if you have any insight. Regardless of what they are doing, I love them and am honored they choose our trees for their birdie raves. Thank you so much for the podcast. It has kept me company during many chores. Thank you, Laura. Uh, yes, so house sparrows are some of the most noisy little partiers I've ever heard. Uh, they are indeed extremely social and gregarious, and it's definitely not limited to mating seasons. In fact... When it is mating season, they are less social in terms of big groups. So they like to roost communally and just hang out together in general. So part of this is safety in numbers. Sparrows are cute little snacks, but a large part of it just seems to be they really desire each other's company. They also enjoy bird o'clock. So the reason this happens every evening is that they are on a schedule. They engage in social singing and communal chirping right before they settle in for the night and also right before they leave the roost in the morning. So this seems to strengthen the social fabric. It works out little disagreements without violence and it can help the birds form closer bonds which can be important for the birds because sometimes they'll like follow each other to food sources and this it just helps them sort of act as a little bird community. But during mating and nesting seasons, the birds are actually less social and they will break off into pairs 
And when they're choosing their nesting spots, they can be really, really aggressive. I read one account of a sparrow, I guess, killed a rival. Now, I'm not sure if it was a fellow sparrow or another bird species because they can be very, very aggressive towards other bird species. But it, it killed this other bird and then just built its new nest right on top of this other bird, which is kind of a real interesting horror movie from a bird's perspective, I guess, like a house built on the grave of someone you murdered and you raise your kids in it. Real messed up, birds. Real weird. You know, what's interesting is another species or multiple species of animals that also do communal roosting are bats, and they also chatter with each other. They're, they tend to actually be a lot more chill than something like a sparrow. They have They don't get into too many fights. There's a lot of uh, communal cooperation, like communal allo parenting, which means that they're raise, helping raise each other's young and even sharing food and resources. So it's really interesting to me. I don't know if you ever read Stella Luna as a child, but this uh, this idea of this little bat being adopted by these cute little birdies, it's, I don't know if that would really happen. I think uh, I think that bat would be dead meat. And on the other hand, I feel like bats are pretty chill. They get a bad reputation, but birds, generally speaking, a little more high strung than bats. So we're actually going to take a real quick break. And when we return, we have one more question about whale eyes. And then I will reveal the mystery animal sound from last week. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right, so this question is from Kevin, Lauren, and Natalie. You guys wrote some really nice compliments, and I really appreciate that. Um, But right on to the question. Here it is. I have a question. I'm reading Moby Dick and came across this part where Melville describes the orientation of the sperm whale's eyes and how they see. And so here is the quote from Moby Dick. Moreover, while in most other animals that I can now think of, the eyes are so planted as imperceptibly to blend their visual power so as to produce one picture and not two to the brain. The peculiar position of the whale's eyes, effectually divided as they are by many cubic feet of solid head, which towers between them like a great mountain, separating two lakes and valleys. This, of course, must wholly separate the impressions, which each independent organ imparts. The whale, therefore, must see one distinct picture on this side and another distinct picture on that side, while all between must be profound darkness and nothingness to him. Man may, in effect, be said to look out on the world from a sentry box with two jointed sashes for his windows. But with a whale, these two sashes are separately inserted, making two distinct windows, but sadly impairing the view. This peculiarity of the whale's eyes is a thing always to be borne in mind in the fishery and to be remembered by the reader in some subsequent scenes. So they go on to ask, is this how a sperm whale would actually process what it sees? He describes it as if the whale sees in the brain two distinct images as their eyes are set on opposite sides of their head. I assumed that the animals with eyes set on the sides of their head like deer and whales see in a way not that dissimilar to how humans do. Now that I'm writing this email, I don't know if I understand how human brains process the information they receive from the eyes. At some point, our brain combines what we see into one signal or image, processes that information, and that is what we see. Does the sperm whale not do the same thing? They would just have a larger blind spot directly in front of their head and a greater view of what is behind or beside them. Well, this email's longer than I thought it would be. Thanks again for the great pod. <laughs> so again, this is from Kevin, Lauren, and Natalie. Thank you so much, guys, for your question. So really interesting question about whales. The thing is, Herman Melville didn't really know what he was talking about. But on the other hand, neither do we really currently. So sperm whales are enormous, I'm sure you know. So there's a big problem when it comes to studying their brains. Like how do you, uh, you know, even 
do do that. It's so big. There's no sperm whale sized MRI or EEG for something that huge enormous. So first, something about whale eyes that we do know. They are adapted for underwater vision and it makes it such that their vision is less clear and less color based than human eyes. So studies on like the inside of their eyes seems to indicate that they see in grayscale and at lower resolution than humans with 20-20 vision. So they also have multiple focal points per eye. So their pupils dilate and contract, not in like the neat little circle that humans do. Uh, They are actually a rounded crescent. So when fully contracted, the pupil actually narrows down to like two dots connected by a thin line of pupils. So they actually have two focal points per eye, which is really hard to imagine how their brain would interpret that. So Melville's idea that the whales have two separate images in their brain that remain separate, like two TV screens with a bunch of darkness in between. I mean, we don't really know, but based on our own vision and other animals' vision, it seems like that's unlikely. So uh, even if the whale's head is really massive, the brain could do a great job of splicing the images together into a single understandable image. So we actually, like uh, you guys pointed out in your question, we have a blind spot and our brain will just overwrite that with information. We don't know, we don't see like a big black spot in the middle of our vision. We just fill in the blanks. So it is not a profound darkness. It's just, we think, ah, yeah, this is normal. This is uh, what what we see in the world. I mean, think about like, can you see uh, beyond your eyes limit? Like stare straight forward and think, well, what does it look like from my ear outwards. It's not a black void, it's it's just nothing. So oh, even a whale with a blind spot like that is probably not gonna perceive a black void. It's just gonna not perceive that area, which is a hard, I know that's a hard thing to like wrap your mind around, but still. So, you know, it's very likely that sperm whales have a similar way of coping with this blind spot. In fact, Uh, Whales have another source of information, visual information, which comes in the form not uh, through sort of their eyes, but through their echolocation. So could whales put together the information they get from their biological sonar with their visual system to paint a clearer picture of the world? Again, we don't really have a definitive answer. It's really hard to study a sperm whale in general, let alone study a sperm whale's brain. Uh, so, you know, the, but I think that there isn't much utility to basically experience the world where you just have this big black void and then two separate screens. I think that would be too confusing. It, it wouldn't make much sense, I think, for something like a sperm whale to have to deal with that all the time. My my guess would be that the brain does compensate for this void and maybe even includes the echolocation as a sort of aid in their visual processing so that they maybe have a more coherent uh, visual system 
that isn't so like janky and interrupted by like uh, you know their the blind spot that is their massive head. Uh, it's not to say that their vision is anything like ours. I would guess based on what I've read, and of course I don't know. I haven't like avatared into a whale brain, so I can't say what it's like to be a sperm whale. But I bet it it is in grayscale, and it seems like they sort of perce- perceive this high contrast kind of grayscale image of the world around them. So the sea might be black or really dark gray, and then images that come out from it may be these kind of grainy white ghostly images. And then maybe with the sonar, they also get more detail of, of like depth perception of further away. So maybe it's this like weird gray and and bright, brilliant, bright white world of, of these like ghostly images coming from this grainy dark sea uh, that they put together in this like 3D stereoscopic view of the world around them. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I have not had the opportunity yet to interview a sperm whale on the show. But if you are a sperm whale and you'd like to be on the show, just, you know, hit me up. So before we go, I'm going to reveal the mystery animal sound from last week's episode. So as a reminder, here was the hint. They may sound like Ringwraith, but these passionate fellows have something other than Frodo on their minds. I actually had a bunch of people write in with the correct answer. I'm really impressed with each and every one of you. I I know I make the game, but I don't think I'd even be as good as you guys are at guessing these sounds. So the first three to write in with the correct answer was Joseph P. Who is Johnny? Which that's their actual handle. It's who is Johnny. I'm not asking who is Johnny. And Marianne D. Congratulations, you guys. And to all the other elk enthusiasts who wrote in. Great job guessing. So now on to this week's mystery sound. A hint. I sneakily mentioned this animal during this very episode of the podcast. Did you catch it? All right. Well, if you have an idea of the answer or you want to write in with a question or a picture of your pets, you can reach out to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com, creaturefeaturepod on Instagram, and creaturefeetpod on Twitter. That's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show or you want to give me feedback, rating, review, uh, if you write that down in iTunes or wherever you're listening, that really helps me. I read all the reviews, and I really appreciate them. And thank you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature features a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Maybe if you're a sperm whale, you listen down in the water with your weirdo eyes. See you next Wednesday. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. 
I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.